Hello and welcome to the Moms Everyday Podcast. I'm Liz Hayes. And I'm Nikki Bates. Moms Everyday is produced by moms for moms, and our mission is to make mom's life easier. In addition to this podcast, we have a weekly parenting TV show. And to find out where to watch us in your area, go to momseveryday.com. Our podcast guest today is Dr. Namali Fernando. She's a doctor of medicine and public health, and you might know her by her other name, Dr. Yum. She has uh, become kind of an expert, a go-to person for picky eaters and uh, helping toddlers and, um, and older kids to uh, eat a healthier diet. So welcome, Dr. Fernando. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. I can talk about food all day. <laughs> I could eat it all day. <laughs> so tell us, what is the Dr. Yum Project and how did it start? So the Dr. Yum Project is a nonprofit organization in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and our mission is to help families make the connection between food and health. And the way that we do that is by providing nutrition education and cooking instruction. And you mentioned I'm a physician, I'm actually a pediatrician. And over many years of practicing, I noticed a lot of families were, had children who suffered with diet-related illness. And that doesn't just mean obesity, that means a lot of different symptoms, which on first glance you wouldn't recognize as being diet related. So kids with intestinal issues, kids with um, psychological issues. And I started spending a lot of time just sort of figuring out what role the diet might play in those problems. And so in 2011, I just started a little website called dryum.com. And it was just a way for me to put all my ideas about nutrition, um, recipes that I would test in the community with kids um, into a place where my patients could access it. And you know, as moms, sometimes it's hard to listen to the pediatrician. You only may get 10, 15, 20 minutes with them. And to take in a lot of information about nutrition is challenging. So it was a nice way for me to have a place for families to go to after hours and really focus on some new information. And that really um, started the ball rolling. I then started some cooking classes that focused on plant-based seasonal cooking instruction for kids, which started um, a preschool nutrition curriculum. And then ultimately, um, I decided to open my own practice where I could have a large teaching kitchen and teach families and see patients within one space. So, um, so now we have three main programs of the Dr. Yum Project, all focused on teaching families. Now, I know you kind of have a test kitchen and you have a team of tiny tasters and something called a yum scale. Can you, ex can you explain who those people are and what that yum scale is? So one of the ideas I had when I started that little blog in 2011 is I wanted to convince parents that kids really can eat real food. They don't have to eat the typical mac and cheese pizza, that kid fare, which really is making kids not feel well. It's making them sick. And so just like, you know, when you buy something on online, you want to see the star rating, right? Like, do people really like this, um, whatever you're buying, computer? And it's the same thing with food. You want to know, are kids really eating this stuff? Because it looks fancy and it, it looks... Um, too healthy, and I don't think kids will eat this. So um, I got a team of kids in my area, patients, friends, neighbors, to just taste recipes. 
I love this idea because kids are the most honest judges. Oh yes, if you go to dryum.org and just click on any of the recipes, you will see how very honest they are. And if they don't like it, they're going to tell you just how much they don't like it. And, and the point of that is that's okay. Kids need to try foods a number of times before they learn to like it. But surprisingly, many of the kids do like this food that we're offering them tastes of. And it's really refreshing to see that um, kids will eat a stir fry over udon noodles, which sounds very exotic, but it's actually really delicious and kids recognize that. Um, so we use this pain, pain scale that we modified so that kids who actually didn't, couldn't verbalize how much they liked a recipe could point to a face. So the way we modified it is we went from a super yuck face to a super yum face. And that's our sort of scale that we use. Um, so all the recipes, if your listeners log on, will see um, lots of really funny commentary about our recipes and their yum scores. One thing I've noticed um, with my kids, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so I am in the midst of this picky eating wow. scenario that I think is really common. And I've probably screwed up by sometimes I'll make them something different you know, where I'm a, a short order cook, which I hate to do. And I don't want to do that. I want to say, this is what's for dinner and eat it. You know, you can eat it or not, but I don't want to make you something else. But then I'm like afraid they're going to be hungry and it's a dilemma. Um, so do you recommend just making a meal and they have to eat it or they don't? Yeah. And, you know, so um, that is the, one of the most common um, feeding jags that we talk about in my office. And um, as you may know, I wrote a book called Raising a Healthy, Happy Eater. And that was written with a pediatric feeding specialist named Melanie Potok. And we, together as a team, identified these places, these sticky spots um, where families can trip up when it comes to their kids eating. And the toddler years are really one of the easiest ways to trip up. So easiest places to trip up. So what happens with toddlers is they stop growing very fast. In the first year of life, they're growing like the speed of light and they're hungry. And so they eat and you get used to them eating um, voraciously. And then what happens in the toddler years is their growth curve goes from being very steep to quite flat. And so they're just not hungry people, these little toddlers. Um, and that drives us nuts as moms because we want to see them eat. And so I always tell families at the one-year visit, when they come in for those one-year, that one-year well-child visit, um, get ready. Your baby's going to stop eating. And your job is to not react. And put food on the plate that you know is good for them. And when they say, decide they don't want to eat it, that's okay. Um, that's because they're just not as hungry and they're working on all these other developmental skills. And if you get one good meal into a typical toddler, you're lucky. So make that meal count and put lots of good variety of food on the plate and don't reach for the fish shaped crackers or the fruit snacks or the peanut butter sandwich just because you want to see them eat. And we've all done this. Um, oh, we are really guilty of the peanut butter sandwich in my household. <laughs> Not that a peanut butter sandwich isn't a, isn't a uh, healthy uh, alternative from time to time, but um, if you made the chicken and broccoli and rice and they're not going to eat it, 
it's because they're not hungry. It's just like if you ate a great big meal and then I offered you an apple, you might say I'm full. But I know if I was offered a, a sweet dessert, I'd be like, well, I have a little room for that. You know, it's um, kids will eat when they're not hungry if the food is tasty enough. And it doesn't mean that they need that food. Does that make sense? So I shouldn't feel guilty if I'm, for instance, <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Um, <laughs> if my child is refusing the healthy dinner that I make, um, I shouldn't feel guilty for sending my toddler to bed without dinner because he's probably not hungry if he's gotten something to eat that day. That is correct for tip for most typically developing children. Now, as with everything, there's a spectrum of abilities and um, and issues. And so there are kids who have who may have special needs, who have particular um, feeding issues. They may be particularly hesitant, and they will starve if you don't give them food that's comfortable for them. But for the average um, typically develop, developing child, they're very good at knowing how much food they need to eat in order to keep growing on their curve. And um, what will happen if they go to bed without a great dinner is they're gonna wake up really hungry. And guess what? You can serve that dinner for breakfast, you know? So make that breakfast count. Make sure that it's not the average American pancakes and syrup sort of a breakfast. Um, in many cultures, they serve vegetables, protein, you know, their breakfast looks more like lunch or dinner. So um, for many toddlers, breakfast is their best. So serve a great meal at breakfast time. And hunger is a natural human sensation. And it can actually teach kids too, that if you're on a schedule and you're not following the schedule and you get hungry, that maybe you need to eat when food is offered on the schedule. So it can be a teachable moment for children as well. And if they're up in the middle of the night because of that hunger, I mean, that's where my worry is now too. Like if I send them to bed without dinner and it's, I, I am completely willing to serve him a healthy breakfast and everything, that sounds great. But if he's waking up before that, how do I handle that? Well, in my experience, when kids wake up and they want to eat, it's not actually because they're hungry. It's, it's other behavioral things. They want to have some time with you. They may have a sleep disturbance of other sorts and they're looking to um, soothe themselves with food, but most kids should be able to get through a night without eating. They're going to survive till morning. They can make it to breakfast. They will. If they're a sturdy two or four year old, they should be okay. Sure. And I've noticed that too with my kids, like if they're being picky for dinner, then that next morning they're starving, but then they eat a good breakfast. So, I mean, that is... Right. It, and you know, it works. There's your one good meal for the day for the toddler. And of course, you're going to offer a snack mid-morning and a great lunch and all that. But don't, uh, don't be too worried if those meals are a little bit smaller. So is it okay to give kids chicken nuggets and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sometimes? Should we avoid that altogether? I think a lot of parents get used to these kid-friendly foods. And then the kids grow to really like them. Um, is it yeah. just limiting them or should we just forget it and really focus on healthier meals? Well, it depends on the child and it de depends on their developmental stage. I think whenever you're establishing habits, it's, it's better to not break the rule. I think that's true in general of anything. When you're establishing a habit, I think, um, and, and healthy habits too, as long as you can provide really healthy options, then why do the kid junky food? Now, when kids get 
um, those healthy habits really well established and they understand why um, healthy food is important for them, then of course there's life. Life happens. There's going to be a birthday party with cupcakes. All that's going to happen. And kids just need at that point to have a conversation with you, an ongoing conversation about how those foods enter into life in moderation and how they can modulate themselves without you having to parent or oversee them all the time. Um, and, you know, like I said, every child is different too. There are some kids for whom food, um, they're very sensitive to food and they probably shouldn't be eating a lot of processed foods with additives or preservatives. I see a lot of kids with attention issues in particular who are sensitive to the food dyes and, and, um, and additives and preservatives and or digestive issues where they need healthy high fiber foods in order to have a healthy digestion. So, um, but if your kid is a typical kid and, and can have a little junk food here and there and it doesn't really affect the way they feel, then it is about making sure they know how to modulate that on their own because these little ones leave your nest. Um, my, my older one is in high school now and he finds food, whether it's from his friends or they go, you know, to the little coffee shop. And, um, you know, fortunately we've raised him to understand how food affects his health. So he can modulate that and enjoy some junk food from time to time, but it doesn't become um, an obsession. Now, one of the issues at my house that we're having, and I know we've been talking about it, the dinner table a lot. Um, sometimes my child, I think he's a grazer. He doesn't like to sit down to a meal. And part of that is just because he's a very active toddler and running around. But what are your thoughts on grazing throughout the day versus sitting down to breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there are kids who have a more grazing style. I think what can happen though if we do a lot of grazing is most of the time what I see parents offering during those grazing times is just filler food. So they're grazing on not the most nutritious meal like food but crackers and pretzels and little snacks and then their belly is full and they never develop hunger. And um, you know there's an old saying hunger is the best sauce. So when your child gets to the dinner table or the lunch table and they're a little bit hungry because you haven't offered snacks in the hour or two beforehand, they're going to be more apt to try that healthy food that you offer them. Um, the other thing I worry about with grazing is just the health of their, their teeth. So you know, every time we um, introduce especially carbohydrates, into the mouth that changes the pH of the mouth and it makes it easier for bacteria to set up cavities. And so I like for kids to really be on a little bit of a schedule where they take a break from eating um, for a couple of hours. And if they are thirsty, they're sipping on plain water. Um, and I think that makes for a better chance for joining the no cavity club. We have a no cavity club at our practice where um, almost all of the patients who started with me really do not have tooth decay yet. And um, I think it's because we focus on these little subtle habits, uh, making sure the kids aren't drinking any juice, that they're not doing any eating at night after a certain age, that they're not grazing too much on snacks throughout the day. So I think that um, that makes a difference. 
So you mentioned um, kids can feel, just not feel good when they eat too many unhealthy foods um, and it can have an effect on their dental health too. Can you talk about some of these health problems that kids are facing because they're not getting enough nutrition? Well, I'll give you the, the example I like to give is one um, that's, you know, uh, typical, I would say, in, in a pediatrics office. So let's talk about a child who's eight and presents with anxiety. Um, in this particular child, if you really talk with the family and figure out why is this child anxious, you may find that perhaps they're, they've started bedwetting. And the reason that they are bedwetting may not exactly be apparent at first, but you find out that this child is actually constipated and they're not having a bowel movement more than about every four to five days a week. The bowel and the bladder are very intimately um, arranged and when the bowel is very full, it can press on the bladder and it can cause bedwetting. Uh, that's not the only reason for bedwetting, but in this particular child, it may be that particular um, scenario. So if you find out then why is the child, um, they're anxious because they're bedwetting. They're not able to go to sleepovers and things they wanna do. They're bedwetting because they have constipation. So why do they have constipation? Well, if you look at the diet, the diet of this child is the average American kid-friendly diet. She doesn't like vegetables. She eats a lot of mac and cheese. She eats a lot of pizza, very carb heavy, very processed. And so this child who presents to your office with anxiety doesn't really need therapy or medication. They need food, real food. They may need a green smoothie. That's an instance where I would actually hand them a recipe for a green smoothie and, um, and give them some ideas of how to change this little girl's habits. So um, when I started thinking about diet, it was really focused on the 30% of kids I was seeing that were overweight or obese. But if you really start looking at um, normal weight children, a lot of them have symptoms, whether they're subtle or not, that have to do with diet. Now, another thing that you mentioned, we touched on this earlier, is that you guys are offering cooking classes or you're starting programs of cooking classes. Can you touch on that? Why is cooking together important? Well, um, we do. The Dr. Young Project um, is a nonprofit organization um, and we offer a number of different types of cooking classes. We even have a preschool nutrition curriculum that's offered in Head Start in several classrooms, about 600 kids a year do our preschool curriculum, and that's focused on cooking skills and learning about nutrition. Um, and, you know, when kids cook, they're more apt to try those foods and enjoy those foods. And it's all about developing that sensory confidence. So when we teach cooking in our classroom, we end up enrolling a lot of picky eaters whose parents hope that maybe through cooking they'll eat better. And we really don't focus on are you going to put that food in your mouth? Are you going to try that broccoli? It's not about that. It's about being around food, touching it, using all the other senses, whether it's feeling the crunch or, or listening to the crunch of a carrot, whether it's cutting that spinach or tearing it with your hands and developing a feel for it. Those experiences are joyful and involve other senses besides just tasting and lead to an appreciation and a desire ultimately to taste and enjoy that food. 
So um, I always say the meal really starts when you start cooking. It's not just about putting food on the table and everyone coming to dinner, but the more time you can spend with your children, just learning about their day and spending time with them and cooking together. Um, I think probably a more adventurous, less picky eater you might have. And I think kids, especially young ones, they want to help. They find it fun and they love to learn and they can help. And then they're more likely to eat it because they, they participated in preparing that meal. Absolutely. Um, one of you said you have a two and a four-year-old and we actually teach knife skills to um, toddlers starting at age three. And we have these beautiful little knives. Um, they're made by a company called Kuhn Racon. They're a Swiss company. And they look like little puppy dogs. And they're amazing because they are very effective at cutting food, but they generally will not cut through a hand. They're very safe. And my son started using his little puppy dog knife when he was my younger one, when he was about five and became my sous chef for life <laughs> and um, would help me at night chopping up little carrots and things like that. And it's amazing when we teach kids through our preschool curriculum or through our instructional kitchen how to use those little knives, all of a sudden their parents are amazed that they have a helper, someone who can actually be helpful to them in the kitchen and um, be proud of being a helper as well and be invested in the meal that's being prepared. So yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be about chopping. It can be tearing spinach leaves or rinsing out strawberries or cleaning up um, a little mess that they've made. But just being involved and being a part of the meal, I think is just so important. Now you also talk a lot about gardening on the Dr. Yum blog. So can you talk about how that fits in as well? Yeah, so um, believe it or not, my, my practice is surrounded um, on all sides by an edible garden. We actually just had some garden volunteers coming in earlier today and they were planting some herbs. And it's really amazing because anyone who comes to the practice for a checkup or anyone who comes from the community to a class can experience a little bit about how food grows. And um, we are very blessed in Virginia. We have a long growing season. We have a great um, farm system around us, great farmer's markets. And I find that when kids grow their own food or eat locally grown food, it's going to taste better and they're going to probably like it better than um, if they were to buy, say, an out-of-season tomato from the grocery store. So we try really to get kids out into the garden um, in our cooking classes, planting, harvesting, bringing in what they've harvested into the kitchen, trying it, cooking with it. Um, and, you know, smelling different herbs and just learning about food. And we call them junior foodies. You know, the education of food is really just so important. Uh, and growing is a part of that. That's part of that sensory confidence. When you have grown broccoli by yourself, you're going to want to try it. I actually just had a, a mom send me a video of her, her almost three-year-old toddlers. She was so proud. They had just harvested some broccoli, the first harvest. And these two are just sitting on the couch, chomping on this broccoli, talking about how they grew the broccoli and they're tasting it. And it's just wonderful. So um, we see that in action all the time, having a garden here in, in the um, Dr. Young Project kitchen. It's wonderful. Aside from that, I bet your office smells amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Sometimes people come in and they're like, what's cooking? We, we sometimes will have, we call them kitchen hours where one of our cooking um, instructors will be working on a recipe 
and it's nice because we have a lot of tasters just instantly coming from the practice. They can smell that something's cooking and we invite them into the kitchen to um, taste and maybe give us a yum score for a recipe we're developing for the site. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Could you give us a couple of your favorite recipes for, for picky eaters or some simple ways we can start if we want to um, encourage our kids to, to eat healthier? Absolutely. So this past year, we have been very focused on developing a free tool on our website, and it's called the Meal Maker Machine. And basically, the premise is that families should be able to use what they have on hand, whether in their pantry or their fridge, to create a customized recipe. So many of us, we find a recipe online, we go to the store, we buy the ingredients, and then we make the recipe, and then the rest of the ingredients that you don't use go to waste. And so $640 a year is what families on average waste in food a year. So we wanted to help families reduce food waste and use what they have on hand by making this tool. So if you go to the Dr. Yum Project website and you click on the recipe section, you'll see our meal maker machine it has these big gears. And there are seven recipes Kids love this tool because basically they can pick ingredients that they have or that they like. And there are little pictures of all the different vegetables and choices that they have. And they can create a pasta or a salad or a soup or a casserole, a stir fry. There's one called curry in a hurry, which is really fun. So, um, so that's a wonderful way for kids to be involved in actually creating their own customized recipe. Um, we had a lovely story of a local kid who was trying to raise some money for an orphanage. He was six years old, and he decided he wanted to raise money for an orphanage in Honduras by doing 400 jobs for a dollar each. So one of our cooking instructors found out about this, also found out he was a very, very picky eater, and challenged him to use the meal maker machine to make a meal for his family um, with the idea that we would donate to his cause. And so he made himself a power pasta. He got on the meal maker machine. His mom sent us this lovely video of him selecting everything, setting the table, making the meal. And this kid has since made several customized recipes and he's eating foods his mom never would have dreamed of. He used to be a child who wouldn't let his food touch each other. He had about five things that he would eat. And uh, she recently sent me a video where he is chomping on this enormous bowl of what looks like incredibly healthy mixed up foods with all different ingredients. And um, she declares that he's cured of his picky eating. <laughs> and it all started with using that machine and getting invested in cooking himself and having some control. So I think it's a lovely tool. I think parents would really enjoy it. Really great for families with food allergies or dietary restrictions because they can pick what works for them and their health issues. So, um, and then if, if your listeners are on that tool, they'll also see there's tons of recipes, all tasted by families. And there's even a menu planner where you can set up your calendar, drop and drag recipes into the menu planner, um, account for leftovers. If you don't want to cook every night, you can put your leftovers into it a night. Um, and then you hit a button and it gives you a, a sorted shopping list as well. So um, a lot of these tools we really built because of real life parents, a lot of moms coming to us and saying, I can't figure out how to get organized. They want my kids to eat better, but I don't know how. And so those real life patient encounters 
have translated into solutions that we think will be helpful for parents. And out of all those recipes, do you have a personal favorite? Oh my gosh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I love a good stir fry. So anything on there, there's one called um, tempeh stir fry with udon noodles. That's a favorite of mine. We make that couple times a month. There's another one I think your viewers or your listeners will really love. It's called Sloppy Joe Sliders. It's a kid favorite. Tons of veggies, but you can use um, any kind of ground meat or meat substitute. And it's packed with veggies. It's really sloppy and delicious. And we make that a couple uh, nights a month at our house as well. What are your thoughts on um, fresh vegetables or fruits versus canned or frozen? Because sometimes, oh, well, we know that the, the fresh ones are typically a little more expensive and it might be harder for some families um, to get those and they might not have access depending on where they live. So is it okay to substitute with um, canned uh, vegetables and, and frozen? Listen, any vegetables are better than no vegetables. So that's the first thing. Um, and a lot of families, they get uh, concerned about whether they should do all organic. Again, any vegetable, conventional versus organic, as long as your kids are getting vegetables, that is better than not. Um, and when it comes to the choice between fresh, canned, and frozen, I think fresh always is wonderful if you can afford it and find it. But frozen is a wonderful alternative. A lot of times um, that produce is very fresh when it's picked. It's picked um, when its uh, nutrients are at its peak. And, um, and it's very convenient and very, and you're not gonna have a lot of food waste when you use frozen as well. Um, in terms of cans, I would try to limit the amount of cans. And the reason for that is that most canned foods in America have a, um, are lined with a chemical called BPA, bisphenol A. And, um, and that chemical can leach into the food and can be a hormone modulator and can promote, promote obesity. The more acidic the food, they found that more BPA can be found in that food. So um, particularly for kids who um, are sensitive to hormonal changes, who are growing, I try to get my patients to limit canned foods when possible or find brands that use BPA-free lining in the cans. Now you talked about with your meal maker machine, the amount of waste that parents are experiencing. Um, speaking of that, um, schools, they, a 2013-2014 school year report sponsored by the USDA found that over 60% of school food um, they saw more waste in terms of salad and raw vegetables and cooked vegetables after the implementation of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. So when they, when they were trying to make the school lunches healthier, they started seeing more waste. So just this Monday, um, the Secretary of Agriculture signed a proclamation that relaxes those standards um, in the areas of whole grains, salt, and milk. So the idea is that if they're relaxing these, getting kids to eat something is better than nothing. So do you agree with that decision to relax the standards for school lunches? You know, this goes back to um, short-term habits versus long-term habits. And, you know, I have this conversation on a daily basis with patients, not on a school-wide level, but on just an individual level. And um, when you institute new healthy food policies, whether it's in a in a school or in your own home, um, you're gonna get some pushback and kids aren't, may not eat 
those foods as well for a while. Um, for most typically developing kids who have access to food, um, that is probably okay because the long-term effect will be that they will be salad eaters and they will be vegetable eaters. So I um, am afraid that with these policy changes, we're losing sight of long-term habits. Um, however, in a school-wide setting, we do have to worry about those most vulnerable to hunger and making sure that kids do eat. So it's a very fine balance. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything else you want to mention? Um, I would just say if, um, if parents are feeling frustrated about you know, how their children are eating or what they're eating or what they're not eating, um, that joy around the, meal time, around the dinner table, around mealtime goes a long way. So try to focus on long-term habits and really enjoy the time that you spend with your children around the dinner table um, and make it less about what they're eating and how many bites of peas they're getting and more about just connecting with their kids. Those habits, if you are patient, will come with time, but try to, try to take a deep breath and realize that parenting is a many, many, many year process. <laughs> Okay. It ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Fernando. And again, you want to give us that website? Yes, it's dryum.org.